0: Hey everyone, welcome to Stantec's second quarter 2021 earnings results call. Leading the call today are Gord Johnston, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Teresa Jang, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. StanTech invites those dialing in to view the slide presentation, which is available in the Investors section at Stantech.com. Today's call is also webcast. Please be advised that if you have dialed in while also viewing the webcast, you should mute your computer as there is a 20-second delay between the call and the webcast. All information provided during this conference call is subject to the forward-looking statement qualification set out on slide 2, detailed in Stantec's management's discussion and analysis and incorporated in full for the purposes of today's call. Dollar amount discussed in today's call are expressed in Canadian dollars and are generally rounded. With that, I am pleased to turn the call over to Mr. Ward-Johnston. Please go ahead, sir.
1: Good morning, and thank you for joining us. Santec delivered another solid quarter of operational and financial performance. Through our commitment to executing our strategy, through our four value creators, we've delivered considerably higher margins quarter over quarter, leading to second quarter earnings that match a historical record of $0.62 per share. Our Canadian and global markets have rebounded strongly to growth, while the U.S. is off to a slower start to recovery. On a constant currency basis, we grew net revenue by over 2%, which was in in line, actually a little better than our expectation we had coming into the quarter. We see clear evidence of momentum building across all of our key markets as we look to the remainder of this year and beyond. We've generated 6% organic backlog growth through the first half of this year. And beyond wins recorded in backlog, we're seeing a surge in award notifications with well over $1 billion in gross revenue, more of half of which is in the U.S. While these notified awards can take months or longer to filter into our backlog, especially for large multi-year frameworks, their sheer magnitude give us every reason to be confident in our outlook. On the strength of our year-to-date results, and positive outlook for the remainder of the year, we've raised our 2021 earnings guidance. Turning now to our results by key geography. The pace of recovery in Canada has been remarkable. And this has created tremendous opportunity in virtually every sector we operate in. Our infrastructure, buildings, and environmental services businesses have been particularly strong, each generating organic growth in the high teens for the quarter. Organic net revenue in Canada was over 11% without the the effect of the de-scoped Trans Mountain contract, and 6% overall. Investment in infrastructure is a key tool being used by governments to spur economic growth and we've already seen the governments of Ontario and Quebec move forward with large transit projects, which are driving significant revenue growth for our transportation business. Our work with Toronto Metrolinks and on the light rail and sustainable transportation development in Montreal demonstrates the high demand for our expertise. British Columbia and Alberta are also advancing several large transit projects, which bodes well for us. We're also seeing strong revenues in our community development business, with high market demand in western canada and ontario attributable to historically low interest rates, the pandemic causing people to reevaluate their housing choices and optimism related to the improving economy fueling organic growth. We're seeing growing opportunity to draw upon our expertise in ESG to provide innovative solutions in sustainable design in Q2 We were awarded a seven-year agreement to provide engineering and architectural services for drinking water installations for a major Quebec municipality. Buildings is performing exceptionally well due to the significant volume of major projects in the Canadian healthcare sector. The new St. Paul's Hospital project in Vancouver and large hospital projects in Saskatchewan and Ontario are driving historically high levels of utilization within our buildings practice. With a number of additional healthcare projects in our backlog, and growing activity in the civic and industrial sectors, we expect continued strong organic growth from our buildings business. And heightened focus on environmental sustainability continues to drive very strong organic growth for our environmental services business. As activity in sectors like transportation, mining, manufacturing and commercial development ramps up, so too is the demand for our services for our scientists and archeologists as they support the regulatory and environmental requirements of these initiatives. Organic growth in water was steady in the quarter. Recent wins on multiple, large-scale water irrigation projects in Western Canada will be a source of increased activity in the months ahead. And We recently won the role of prime consultant for a wastewater treatment facility upgrade in southern Ontario as we continue to be recognized as market leaders in this space. And With the energy transition underway, we're seeing growing opportunities for our energy and resources group in renewable energy, and a great example of the work we're doing here is our recent win to provide process, mechanical and instrumentation services to a biogas feedstock project in Saskatchewan. Many of the themes playing out in Canada are also emerging in the U.S., although the U.S. recovery is off to a slightly slower start. Overall, the Q2 performance of our U.S. business was in line with our expectations, with 7.4% organic revenue retraction in contrast to organic growth last year. Our U.S. results were significantly impacted by the strengthening of the Canadian dollar, and Teresa will go into this a bit later in the presentation. Our U.S. transportation business continues to work through the wind down of several major alternative delivery projects, where revenue recognition at the end of projects tends to slow down due to the complexity of the change order approval process. Unlike Canada, stimulus investment in infrastructure has not yet crystallized, but we are very well positioned to be beneficiaries when it occurs. With the expected focus on traditional infrastructure like roads, bridges, and transit, we expect U.S. stimulus spending will drive strong growth in infrastructure once funds begin to flow. Buildings are starting to turn the corner as public and private investment is gaining momentum. While the commercial sector remains weak, we're beginning to see very positive green shoots in other sectors. The focus on health care that we've seen in Canada is emerging in the U.S. And our expertise in this sector has resulted in recent pursuit wins for a number of hospitals and urgent care facilities. We were recently awarded the design of a state-of-the-art neurological facility that will be over one million square feet in size. Activity is also growing in the civic and industrial sectors where we've been successful in recent pursuits for a number of large-scale IDIQs for the US Army Corps of Engineers and NAVFAC. And we're seeing all around the world The theme of sustainability is creating a growing dimension in our design work in the United States. This is especially pronounced in our energy and resources and environmental services businesses, which have achieved organic backlog growth of 35% and 30% respectively since year-end 2020. We expect this trend to continue with increasing opportunities in the renewable and energy transition space, like the recently awarded Pump Storage Feasibility Study, and our continued engagement in on- and offshore wind and major solar projects. And this past quarter, our Water and Environmental Services Group were awarded a mandate worth approximately $100 million in net revenue to support FEMA to enhance the usability and value of natural hazard risk information. And this will contribute to further growth and backlog for these groups in the quarters ahead. Earlier this week, we announced that we signed a letter of intent to acquire Paleo Solutions Paleo has the largest staff complement of paleontologists of any firm in the United States. And that expertise, coupled with their strong archaeological presence, complements our existing capabilities and positions us extremely well to meet the considerable volume of work that's imminent as utilities look to strengthen their electrical transmission infrastructure and our industry responds to the anticipated U.S. infrastructure stimulus. So the wave is coming in the U.S. While slower to materialize than in Canada, it will certainly be larger in scale and scope. And we see evidence of this in the solid 6.4% organic backlog growth that we've logged and in the half billion dollars of notified awards that are not yet included in backlog. Like Canada, Global outperformed our expectations in the second quarter, with net revenue growing organically by 9.9%. Our water business generated over 20% organic growth, as the UK Amp7 and large water frameworks in Australia are operating at peak of activity. High commodity prices are also driving strong demand in our mining sector, which achieved organic growth in the high teens. Acquisitions added a further 9.7% of net revenue growth to our global business, highlighting the value we're driving from our M&A program. We closed our acquisition of Ingenium during the quarter, our second acquisition in Australia this year, and we're seeing the benefit of combining our teams in terms of client interest and project opportunities. Backlog for our global region remains very healthy. We're also seeing significant growth in notified contract awards globally, again, not yet in backlog, particularly with respect to multi-year frameworks in our UK and Australian water businesses. In addition, other significant awards that are not yet in backlog include two separate pump storage facilities in the UK. These are great examples of how we continue to support our clients in the transition to renewable energy. We've also been appointed to a multidisciplinary role in conceptual design for a 50-story mixed-use development in Australia, consisting of residential, retail, community and commercial spaces. And our global mining business has also been very active with the increase in commodity prices. I'll now turn things over to Teresa to review the quarter in more detail.
2: Thanks, Gord, and good morning, everyone. As Gord mentioned, the change in the Canadian-U.S. exchange rate had a substantial impact on our U.S. earnings this quarter. The Canadian dollar strengthened by 17 cents on a quarter-over-quarter basis, which decreased net revenues by $61 million. We've also provided our estimates of the FX impact on our other key financial metrics for the quarter and year-to-date. Without the estimated 4-cent negative impact, Q2 EPS would have achieved a new record. Despite the impact that foreign exchange had on our net revenues, we were able to grow adjusted EBITDA and drive a 110 basis point increase in margin to 16.1% through our continued focus on project execution and disciplined discretionary spending. Our Q2 results also reflect our focus on managing all aspects of our business. Beyond our drive to maintain and grow our industry-leading EBITDA margin, we're continuing to execute on our 2023 real estate strategy, which remains on track to deliver $0.10 per share in adjusted EPS by the end of 2021. Our focus on working capital management, along with the benefit of lower interest rates from our senior note offering last year, are driving a reduction in interest expense and we've materially reduced our effective tax rate through the implementation of tax optimization strategies. These efforts collectively contributed to $70 million in Q2 adjusted net income and $0.62 in adjusted diluted EPS, representing 21% and 19% increases respectively. Our balance sheet remains strong with net debt to adjusted EBITDA of 0.9 times, below our targeted range. Day's sales outstanding with 76 days at quarter end, which is relatively consistent with Q1 2021, and down six days compared to the same time last year. We've revised our target DSO downward from 90 days to less than 80 days, which reflects our confidence in our ability to maintain DSOs below this level. Free cash flow for the first half of the year decreased $74 million to $51 million, reflecting changes in revenues and corresponding cash receipts, including the effects of foreign exchange. As well, cash flows for the same period last year benefited from the deferral of income tax and other payments, which resulted from various pandemic relief programs. Increased cash used in investing activities reflects our recent acquisition activity while spending on capital expenditures has remained consistent. And we returned $69 million in capital to shareholders in the second quarter, $51 million through share repurchases and $18 million through the payment of dividends, demonstrating our ongoing commitment to our capital allocation strategy. Based on our financial performance to date and our confidence in continuing to execute on our plan, we're raising our earnings guidance for 2021. We continue to expect 2021 full-year organic net revenue growth to be in the low to mid-single digits, or 1% to 5%, but with a slight shift in mix relative to our previous thoughts. We now expect organic growth in Canada and global to be slightly stronger than initially projected, offsetting a slightly slower start to the recovery in the U.S. As a reminder, whenever we talk about organic growth, we always talk about it on a constant currency basis. We're raising the lower end of our ranges on all our financial targets, Adjusted EBITDA margin is now projected to be 15 to 16% of net revenue. Our adjusted net income margin target is now 6.8% of net revenue or higher. And adjusted ROIC is now expected to be 10% or higher. And as for adjusted diluted EPS, we now expect to achieve 4 to 7% growth in 2021 compared to 2020, where our previous guidance was for low to mid-single-digit growth, or 1% to 5%. Given continued uncertainty around the timing on a U.S. infrastructure stimulus bill, we believe it's still prudent to exclude any potential upside from U.S. stimulus spending in our 2021 revenue expectations. Please refer to this quarter's MD&A for more detailed information about our 2021 outlook, including our updated expectations for our effective tax rate, foreign exchange sensitivities, and our revised expectation regarding seasonality of earnings where we now project Q1 and Q4 to represent 45% of earnings and Q2 and Q3 to represent 55%. This is a shift from our previous guidance of a 40%-60% split. And with that, I'll turn the call back to Gord.
1: Thanks, Teresa. We are very optimistic as we look toward the rest of this year and beyond. Our increased EPS guidance for 4-7% to growth in 2021 is predicated on our solid performance in the first half of the year, the strength of our backlog, and our more than $1 billion in award notifications that aren't yet booked into backlog. While we have not yet incorporated any U.S. stimulus spending into our revenue assumptions for 2021, the proposed focus on water and traditional infrastructure like roads, bridges, and transit matches up squarely with our areas of strength. Given the expected focus on sustainability as part of these investments and our industry-leading exposure to UN Sustainable Development Goal-related revenue, we are ideally positioned to capitalize on these opportunities and drive significant growth in our U.S. operations. Our ability to maintain our high win rate on pursuits and deliver unparalleled results for our clients is largely dependent on our ability to retain the best talent. And we're proud to be recognized as an employer of choice, as highlighted by some of the accolades noted on this slide. While our voluntary turnover rate has remained low throughout the pandemic and continues to be a couple percentage points better than the industry average, we're continuing to strive to maintain a highly engaged and empowered workforce. And that's why it's a key priority for us to maintain an inspired work culture and an environment where everyone feels welcomed, included, and supported. Stantec continues to stand out as the top-ranked firm in its space for sustainability. In addition to being named the fifth most sustainable company in the world by Corporate Knights this year, we were also recently ranked the industry's top firm in Canada's best 50 corporate citizens of 2021. Our emphasis on sustainability is interwoven from our leadership team to the talented staff who guide our clients on their journeys to create more sustainable communities and futures. And I want to thank all of our employees for their continued commitment and diligence in supporting our clients and colleagues around the world. And with that, we'll open the call up to questions. Operator?
0: Thank you. If you would like to ask a question on the phone lines today, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. If you are on a speakerphone, please make sure your mute options turned off to allow your signal to reach our equipment. Once again, everyone, that is star 1 on your telephone. We'll take our first question from Benoit Poirier with Desjardins Capital Markets.
3: Please go ahead. At Parker, our purpose is simple.
4: Uh, just with respect on m and based on your current pipeline of M&A you have in front of you and assuming a normal closing rate, uh, how many employees could you acquire throughout the remainder of 2021? I just want to get a sense of the opportunity ahead of you in the current context.
1: Yeah, thanks for the question, Benoit. You know, certainly there's a lot of activity in that Thousand-person and less market that we typically are, are looking at as our sweet spot, and you, you noted uh, earlier this week we, we announced the uh, the, uh, the letter of intent for Paleo Solutions, and I suspect that there's going to be a number of additional firms in that thousand-person and, and less coming to market over the remainder of the year, particularly in the United States, because you know, folks are wondering what might happen with, from a taxation perspective, and you know we're we're also finding that there's some activity in the 1,000-plus person range. But these days, you know, discipline is the key for us, Benoit, because, you know, we're, we're seeing that, that um, there's a lot of activity in the market, a lot of players, uh, and so really maintaining discipline on the multiples that, that we're prepared to pay in order to be, you know, have the, uh, any transaction be accretive for us from a long-term perspective. But, you know, these things are always lumpy. And so, you know, I don't think I'd, I'd like to, to, you know, posit a guess at, at how many you know, folks we could add from a staff count perspective, only to say that the the pipeline of firms is full and there's a lot of activity in the space, but, you know, how many or how many people we would close before the end of the year, you know, would would be difficult for us to,
4: to really to guess at. Okay. And Thanks. Great caller. And with respect to the U.S., obviously a little bit slower recovery, but uh, it seems the $1 billion of award notification is excluded from the potential impact of the uh, trillion dollar of infrastructure uh, package. So I would be curious to, to have an update uh, with respect to the timing for the funds to begin to flow and which segment would benefit the most uh, down the road uh, Gork
1: and and for your question Benoit do you mean specifically related to the the soft backlog that we have on the books or is that more with relation to what, what we see coming from the US stimulus
4: more about what coming from the US stimulus yes
1: yeah you know it's interesting when you look at the plan it's lined up from a U.S. stimulus perspective. It really is is right in our wheelhouse. You know, when when you look at um, you know roughly 550 million dollars, uh, 550 billion, sorry, in new funding over five years, 110 billion for roads, bridges, and and other major infrastructure, um, 39 billion for public transit, uh, 17 billion for ports, 25 billion for airports. Um, you know, zero and low emission buses, electrical grid upgrading $55 billion for water infrastructure. So, you know, a lot of the things, and just going back to the electrical grid, $73 billion to upgrade the electrical grid, which ties in very, very well with our acquisition of Teshmot um, last year, plus the existing strength that we had. But also Paleo does a lot of work in, in, with uh, clients in that space as well. So I think with our, our existing skill set, with the skill set of, of some of the firms that we've added recently, um, we are ideally situated to, uh, to capitalize on on what, what we anticipate will come from the U.S. infrastructure bill uh, when when it's finally passed.
4: Okay.
5: Thanks for the caller. Great. Thanks, Benoit. We'll take our next question from Michael Tuplum with TD Securities.
6: Uh, thanks. Good morning. Uh, Gord, good morning. Uh, Gord or Teresa, the admitted marketing expenses this quarter, it was noted that the expenses were lower in part due to uh, reduced discretionary spending and the favorable resolution of certain claims. Just uh, two questions there. I guess first off, can you speak to the details of the claims resolution, how material that was? And then secondly, um, if you could also speak to how you're thinking about discretionary expenses going forward with, with the economic reopening continuing to progress?
2: Sure. So with respect to the, the claims recovery, um, it, I, I would say it wasn't as material as uh, what we recorded at Q4 of last year. It was a couple million dollars, um, but enough to, you know, to, to be noteworthy, I, I think. Um, and, and so as we think about discretionary spending going forward, um, what we've baked into our EBITDA margin um, expectations for this year you know, is continued savings, continued discipline – but we also know that you know everyone is sort of um, uh, pushing to be able to get back on the road and on planes and, and travel as things start to open up. So you know we, we we're expecting to see a, a bit of a bump up in uh, travel and so on uh, probably towards uh, the latter part of uh, of q three and into q four. and as we as we look toward twenty twenty two and beyond though, um, it, it is our intention that discretionary spending will not go back to levels uh, uh, that we uh, were at before the pandemic. So, you know, we, we've not yet established what that target is. You know, what percentage reduction we're going to try to, to cap it at. Um, but that—that that is fully our expectation that that it will it will remain low, um, not as low as during the pandemic, but not as high as before the pandemic.
6: Okay, no, I appreciate that. That's uh, that's good color. Thank you. Um, if we look at the year-over-year the year margin improvement, EBITDA margin improvement in Q2 uh, was healthy, um, if we look ahead to the third quarter, looks like the prior year margin comp is more difficult in, in Q3. Are you able to talk about whether or not you believe that you can continue to see year-over-year year margin improvement in, in the third quarter? So, so can you hear me? We, we can, can now, yes. Know.
2: Sorry about okay, that. Okay,
6: perfect. Um, I'll, maybe I'll just re-ask the question because I'm not sure how much of it came through. So the question was just yeah, that would be great. sure. Keeps so the, the margin, question was just about, right? yeah, margin. So you had you had good year-over-year improvement in the second quarter. I'm just wondering as we look ahead to the the third quarter, it looks like the the comp is more difficult on a in terms of the prior year comp. Um, so I appreciate the the guidance range you've given for the full year, but I'm just wondering in the third quarter, do you expect to be able to to continue to see year-over-year Ebitda margin improvement in the third quarter.
1: So, Teresa, were you finished with your response?
2: Uh no, I was, I was just getting started when I got cut off. Michael, are you able to hear us?
6: I can hear you fine, yep.
2: Okay, so uh, apologies again. So, uh Ebitda margin um you know, we feel pretty confident about the the range that we have uh that we put out for the year. Um, and it does, you know. Take the, there is still a bit of seasonality in the way our EBITDA margins uh, tend to, to go over the course of the year, and we think that will still roughly, you know, be the same. We, we would think that it's going to be uh, relatively strong in the, in the third quarter. It'll back off in the fourth quarter, and uh, and a, again hope to, to be comfortably in the range that we that we've set as our target.
6: Okay, thank you. I'll uh, I'll get back in the queue.
7: Thanks, Michael.
0: All right. We'll take our next question from Jacob Bout with CIBC. Please go ahead.
7: Good morning. Morning, Good morning. Jacob. Want to go back to the uh, to the U.S. and and maybe dig into the drivers of the uh, negative uh, organic uh, revenue retraction we saw in the U.S. How much of this was the wind down in the uh, transport info projects uh, versus say that the, the Resurgence of the Delta variant, or or the delay in the U.S. infrastructure stimulus.
1: Yeah. So you know, just to start off, to say that you know we have confidence in our long-term op- our, our U.S. operations in, in the long term. You know, we we've booked 6.4% organic backlog uh, growth so far this year. Um, you know, we we've seen certainly we talked about the soft backlog and roughly half of that, or over half a billion dollars. Uh, as well, coming there even absent U.S. Uh, infrastructure stimulus, and and also note that the, our comparison is to Q2 2020, in which we had some organic growth. So to, to your point about um, you know the the two major retractors that we did see in in the in the U.S. in Q2 um, were transportation, and that is related to those those um, you know we typically don't like to call out individual projects, but there's two of them that are currently in that stage where we're winding down right now um, as well as our buildings business retracted a bit now you know we've noticed that we've noted that buildings really has begun to turn the corner in Q2 uh, with the addition of of new projects and so I think we're feeling positive about that so really these were not um, uh, Jacob I I don't believe uh, impacted at all by the by the resurgence of the Delta variant Uh, and we do believe that we'll see that continued growth in in the US um, going forward Q3, Q4, but certainly into next year, even absent the U.S. infrastructure stimulus spending, and that would provide only a stronger tailwind for us.
7: Okay. Um, and the $1.3 billion in award notifications, um, it sounds like that, that will be awarded or, or added to backlog in, in the fourth quarter. Is that how we should be thinking about that?
1: No. You know, some of those, what we tried to do there is just indicate the overall health of 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 our markets you know even absent those u.s infrastructure stimulus so those were that is true you know in excess of a billion dollars in gross revenue that we were notified of award in in the quarter and some of those are actionable immediately and we'll start on them right away but some will take several quarters to to add to backlog and some will be even longer you know for example i I mentioned in the prepared results the the fema project that that we were um, awarded that's a a long-term multi-year award with FEMA. And so, you know, that, that'll take several years for us to work through that backlog. But what it provides us is with, you know, multi-years of, you know, no admin, no business development, and, and a group of people just working full-time on, on the project. So, so no, I, I wouldn't expect to see a billion dollars drop into um, backlog in Q3. Um, but it, I think it's just more indicative of the overall health of, the, of our backlog, overall health of the markets and so just supportive of our long-term view that that things will are uh, continuing to improve and gives us solid tailwinds
7: and then my second question is just on the lowered tax rate guidance can you talk about the sustainability of that as we look into 2022 or or is this just really a, a mixed play for for 2021
2: Um, You know, I would say uh, all things being equal, that we do expect we'll be able to maintain a a lower tax rate relative to the 27 to 28% we started uh, this year with. Uh, But, of course, we haven't done our our full uh, uh, budgeting for 2022 yet. Uh, But we did implement uh, some strategies this year that that, uh, should sustain it at a a lower level. Um, Of course, you know, there's a a lot of discussion around uh, whether it's uh, U.S. Uh, corporate tax reform, uh, global tax reform. So there's a few things floating around out there that we're certainly monitoring, uh, but all things being equal, uh, we should be able to keep a, a lower effective tax rate than we started the year with.
5: Okay, thank you. Our next question comes from
0: Chris Murray with ATB Cap Markets. Please go ahead.
8: Um,
9: thanks folks Um, so just kind of continuing on the tax uh, discussion for a second Um, Teresa in the quarter um, one of the things we've seen from some other companies is there was a change in the UK statutory rate Um, I'm assuming does your guidance I'm I'm assuming for for this year bake that in and your to your commentary about um, maybe slightly lower tax numbers next year that that's also already kind of in that impact
2: yeah that would be right
9: okay Thanks. Um, and then my other question is around, um, you know, the Canadian operations and just the organic growth rate. And Gord, you know, certainly um, double digit growth rate numbers, um, but certainly impacted by, by Trans Mountain. Can you give us some indication on when you think the Trans Mountain impact is going to slow? And, and, and I guess the other piece of this is, you know, kind of excluding the Trans Mountain, you know, how sustainable you think the, that kind of double digit organic growth rate might be?
1: Yeah, no. Thank, thanks, Chris. You know the the impact of Trans Mountain um, will will persist for the end of this year, just as a as an organic growth headwind. You know, we changed our contractual relationship with them really at the end of the year, so we were generating that revenue with uh, with Trans Mountain, you know, Q two, Q three, Q four of, la- of last year. And so, uh, absent oil and gas, every one of our business lines in Canada had organic growth um, last. Uh, in, in Q2, and so you know we've seen backlogs are are up in Canada. Um, our our um, book to burn, uh, virtually for every group is is above uh, is above one in, in Canada, and basically overall Canada, U.S. and global for all of our c- combined all of our groups had a book to burn uh, in in excess of one for the quarter. Um, so so I think we feel pretty pretty good about that um but in terms of sustainability you know with uh, of it you know the backlog is there the pipeline of new opportunities is, is, is still looking uh looking uh looking good chris so you know will we will we keep double digits you know quarter on quarter you know that that's hard to say but we do see or strong organic growth in canada for the remainder
5: of the year
10: okay that's helpful thank you
5: thanks chris We'll take our next question from Sabat Khan
0: with RBC Capital Markets.
11: All right, great, thanks, and good morning. I'm just kind of following up on the end market discussion. Can you maybe talk a little bit about the kind of the infrastructure outlook across some of your major regions? Um, obviously that's a market that should benefit from stimulus, but what are you seeing in the pipeline specifically for that in the u s or even internationally?
1: you know when, when we uh thanks Alan. when we look at the u s you know of course, the, the infrastructure stimulus bill you know, continuing to be negotiated and, and we'll see you know, what sort of a time frame we, we get there. But I think what's, what's interesting there is what we're seeing is a number of, of clients uh, putting out conceptual design, you know, 10% design, hiring their consultants, getting people on board in anticipation of that work coming. So, so, that, so I think that's going to create a nice tailwind for us. But even absent that, you know, in the U.S., you know, we talked about the, the large hospital uh, neurological institute that we were awarded. Uh, we're seeing, you know, that soft backlog is there. So there's a lot of confidence, in, growing confidence in the U.S. and clients even absent the U.S. infrastructure stimulus. So I think we feel good about that. Um, outside of, of the United States, you know, in, in Canada, certainly backlogs are up and then even stronger from a, a global perspective, you know, from a transparent from a global transportation perspective. You know, we're we're forecasting 17% organic growth going forward, really driven by a lot of the work that we're seeing way down south in in New Zealand, Um, certainly some work in Australia as well through our our recent acquisition of GTA down there. So I think infrastructure um, from a Canadian, a U.S., and a global perspective feels like it's gonna provide a a pretty good tailwind, uh, you know, for our industry for the remainder uh, you know, for the next
11: couple of years, I think. All right. Thanks for that. And then just kind of turning over to two of the two of the end markets that have had a bit of a tailwind over the last few years, which is the environment and water. You know, you've had good growth in those end markets as well, and I can we look forward to the next 12, 24 months. You know, do you see those tailwinds continuing? And, you know, which markets specifically are you maybe really seeing more demand for those as you may be lap of years of good growth in those two end markets?
1: Yeah, well, you know, when we talk about our water business first, you know, we've seen organic growth in our water business each quarter for the last eight or nine quarters, so it just continues to strengthen, you know, pre-pandemic and, and even through the pandemic. Um, backlogs in, in water are solid, and, and I think it's just our, our market presence there, really, whether it's in the United States, in Canada, or globally, um, is very, very strong, and we see con- continue, uh, continued growth there. And, really a large portion of that soft backlog that we talked about is in the water space. From the, from the environmental perspective, again, you know, great backlog growth there as, as we've talked about um, uh, our, our overall, you know, book to burn in environmental services feels, feels good for us. It's certainly uh, above one in the quarter. And, you know, Teresa talked about the backlog growth uh, overall um, as being a stre- extremely strong, um, And so we see that continuing that backlog growth will just continue to feed the, um, you know, the, 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 the revenue generation, I I believe for the quarters to come and and strong support into 2022 as well.
11: Um, If I could just squeeze in one more, I'm just looking at your kind of balance sheet position here, it still looks good. And you've been chipping away with small to medium sized transactions for the while. Can you maybe comment on the pipeline of opportunities and any talk about larger transactions in the past as well, just kind of, what is the opportunity set out there um, right now at this point in the year you know there's um, mentioned
1: uh, briefly earlier like in, in that sub 1,000 person firm kind of which has historically been the Santec sweet spot there is a lot of opportunity coming to market you know whether it's um, uh, uh, you know in Canada the United States or globally but I do see you know in the US in particular with you know pending tax changes um, that we're going to see additional opportunities come to market here in the the second half of the year. Um, the pipeline is full already, but you know we've heard discussion of what a number of firms uh, coming to market. And then from the, f- the perspective of the firms in excess of a thousand people, you know there are a couple of transactions that are are live now, um, but I think there's a number of additional ones that we see coming in the latter half of the year as well that that you know we'll we'll evaluate. But as I mentioned before, the key for us is discipline and, and not, um, you know, we, our balance sheet is strong and we look to deploy the capital well, <clears throat> as long as we can ensure that it'll be accretive for us in the short and the, in the longer term. So, um, you know, I think you'll see us maintain our discipline, but our, our appetite our, uh, for growth is there. Our balance sheet is strong and our level of global maturity is also quite strong. So I think we,
5: we feel good about opportunities going forward. Thanks very much. Great. Thanks, Abel. We'll take our next question from Ian Gillius with Stiefel.
12: Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. I was hoping... um, you could maybe talk a little bit about how you're thinking about using the buyback versus M&A at this point, especially given that you just highlighted that there's a fair bit of stuff um, in the pipeline. It was um, you were pretty active with it in Q2 and how you're thinking about it moving ahead, especially given another solid move in the share price.
2: Yeah, you know, I think our approach to uh, share buyback uh, is consistent with what it's always been. Sorry, I'm just getting a little bit of feedback. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Um, but the, the approach is consistent, in in that, you know, we look to use our, our NCIB opportunistically. Uh, and, you know, we, we found pretty good opportunity to do so in, in May and June. Um, but really, the, the, the preference, and I think, you know, certainly the, mo- the more um, uh, powerful uh, approach to deploying our capital is through M&A. Uh, and so that's, that's our preference. Um, but again, when we have a when we have the opportunity, we see a bit of a dislocation in pricing um, uh, in the markets. We we will go in and, and buy shares.
12: Understood. Um, the other thing I wanted to follow up on: there's been a lot of talk in M and A and adding people that way. Um, are you able to talk about the ability to add people organically right now, given low levels of, of unemployment? It feels like people haven't been very apt to change jobs or they've been hard to find. So I'd be curious if, how you can grow the business in that regard.
1: Yeah, so we, uh, we have actually, it's interesting, we had a, a, a significant discussion on that just, just yesterday. And, and what we're, you know, a couple of things there. Firstly, our voluntary turnover rates are typically 2 to 3% below um, uh, industry average. And, and we, you know, we, while our voluntary turnover rates declined during the early stages of the pandemic, so did those of, of our you know of industry, and so while we're seeing voluntary rates begin to creep up, they're still for us in the uh, in single digits, and as we look at the number of folks that we're able to hire and bring on, it, it certainly is exceeding the number of folks that we're that we're losing through voluntary turnover. And so you know we, we'd always wanted to be a net importer of of staff during this volatile period, and and we're finding that to be the case. You know of course. We want to do everything that we can to ensure that our existing employees feel valued and, and that, they, that that we're not going to, um, to, to lose them to, to clients or competitors. But, um, you know, and I think we've, we've had some success there. So, you know, as I mentioned, we are, to date, we've been a, a net importer, uh, adding to staff. When I look at our staffing numbers now versus at the end of the quarter versus a year ago, our, our numbers are, are up. And so we feel good about that. But again, we want to focus on retaining our existing staff and on continuing to uh, to
5: recruit in in new staff.
11: Thanks very much. That's helpful. I'll turn the call back over. Great. Thanks,
5: Ian. We'll take our next question from Maxim Stechov with National Bank Financial.
10: Hi. Hi. Good morning, uh, Good Teresa. Morning. Morning. Mark. Um, uh, Gordon, I just wanted to circle back to, to, to acquisitions. Um, so, when we look, you know, historically, when uh, kind of 2011, 2012 timeframe, I mean, top line at the time was around $1.45 mm-hmm. You were kind of allocating maybe $85 to M&A every year. And right now, we're kind of doing the same while, you know, revenue is close to $4 billion. And like obviously, I really appreciate you know the the looking at creative acquisitions, uh, things that make sense. But how how do you think about materiality and the ability to kind of move the needle through acquisitions, and whether that's been changing as you have been executing dramatically better over the last uh, two years? So maybe some some thoughts there.
1: Yeah, no, no, that, that that's a a great perspective, Max. So. You know, we are, we are continuing to execute on that, you know, our small to midsize strategy, those thousand-person and less firms, but, you know, and, and that is our strategy. And, and I think, you know, you've probably heard us say over the last couple of quarters that, you know, as some of these larger transactions come along, we're, we're having a, a solid look at them. And certainly if we can find some that, that uh, we think meet our, our long-term objectives, you know, because of the strength of our balance sheet and the maturity of our global operations, uh, and certainly the appetite from, from management and from our board, you know, we, we'll look at those. But, again, only, only where they make sense. And we think they'll be accretive to, to, uh,
10: you know, to our shareholders in the longer term. Right. Okay, no, that, that makes sense. And in terms of kind of the competitive landscape for flat positions, are you seeing more financial buyers as well kicking the tires on these things? Or is it all strategic players you're competing against?
1: We absolutely are seeing more financial uh, buyers come to the table, Max. um, And it's interesting. We were looking at some stats just the other day that, you know, from five years ago to now, you know, five years ago, roughly, you know, we might have anticipated on an annual basis, maybe 10% of the transactions went to a financial buyer. I think so far this year we've seen, you know, could be up to 30% of the transactions have gone to, to financial buyers. And in some of those cases, and you would have seen some of them as well the multiple is, is very, very high. Um, that, you know, I, that from a, a, the perspective of a strategic, as you're getting into the, these high teams multiples, it'd be very difficult for that to be accretive unless there's pretty significant growth opportunities. So, again, you know, we're just, we're maintaining our, our discipline. We're maintaining our focus. Um, but it is certainly a, a more competitive environment there as we see uh, financial buyers coming in looking for some of these platform uh, acquisitions.
10: Okay, no, that's super helpful. And then just one quick clarification for Teresa, if I may. So I, I think it was um, uh, 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 Michael uh, asking the question in terms of the back half margin improvement q year. Can you just confirm that that's actually what you are telegraphing, that you're going to be able to grow the margin profile in, in Q3 and then kind of flattish in Q4? Is that accurate?
2: Yeah. I don't know if it'll necessarily grow from Q2 to Q3. I think we'd expect it to be relatively stable at the the higher end of of, um, what we typically see for Q3. Um, But we do think it'll come back down in in Q4. So Q3, we're we're, um, expecting to uh, be able to replicate what we did in, in Q2.
10: Okay, appreciate the clarification. Thank you so much. That's it for me.
5: Thanks, Max. And we'll take our next question from
0: Brian Fast with Raymond James.
8: Thanks. Good morning. Um, Just to follow up on your commentary on the the water business, obviously you're seen as the market leader in the the water space. Um, Are there any regions that you are not punching above your weight in that vertical?
1: You know, I think as we look around, you know, our our major markets, Canada, the United States, the UK, um, Australia, you know we're we are easily a dominant market player in canada the us um, and and, um, and the uk while we're extremely strong and i think probably punching above our weight in australia i think we have opportunities to continue to strengthen our presence there by through the addition of, of additional uh, uh, additional resources the team that we have there is fantastic uh, and they've won some really really strong awards and you can see that in in the growth numbers but I think we can add some more staff there and so certainly would be an area of of focus for us going forward.
8: Okay thanks Gord. Um, And then you highlighted the nice project win in the U.S. healthcare vertical. I guess how is that bidding pipeline and I guess the opportunities shaping up uh, for healthcare in the U.S. specifically?
1: Yeah you know uh, it's interesting in the first first quarter of the year we really saw healthcare opportunities really blossoming in Canada in particular and in um, and in Australia. What we've seen through Q2 and the bidding pipeline coming in for the remainder of the year is healthcare is really coming on strong in in uh, the United States. So, you know, that was a really nice award for us here, uh, but I think we'll see that that uh, momentum continue to build uh, as we go forward for the remainder of this year.
11: Okay, that's it for me. Thanks.
5: Thanks, Brian. Our next question comes from Troy Sun with
0: Laurentian Bank. Please go ahead.
12: Good morning. Good morning. Um, Good morning. I'm just wondering if you can can provide a little bit more color on the DSO improvement that you've been seeing uh, this year and how sustainable that uh, target that you give for 2021 when we think of beyond this year and if the improvement is to continue, like should we be expecting, um, you know, a structural change in terms of the free cash flow conversion profile for the business?
2: Yeah, you know, we've worked uh, awfully hard over the last couple of years uh, at, at our DSO, and I think the level that it, it currently sits at, that sort of 75, 76-day range, um, uh, is, um, is pretty achievable for us on, a, on an ongoing basis. Now, it can always be um, thrown off course uh, by uh, certain contracts or, or um, uh, arrangements, but um, we are we're, we're pretty confident that this is a, a, a good range that we can achieve. Um, and I would expect then, from a, a free cash flow standpoint, that you know, we had a bit of disruption this year from uh, the effect last year of you know pretty large tax payments that we were able to defer. So we got some uplift last year, and then of course that uh, that catches up with you and a bit of. Um, uh, higher-than-usual outflow this year. Um, but I think things will normalize. There really aren't any um, further programs that we um, are aware of or participating in um, from, uh, related to the pandemic. So I think it is uh, normalizing, uh, but no structural uh, changes that, that uh, I can think of.
12: Okay, great. Thank you. Uh, that's very helpful. And then my next question, um, maybe uh, I'm wondering, Gord, if you can just make a quick comment on, you know, the energy end market. Is Good to see you know the backlog coming back, and also just the metals commodities pricing uh, you know becoming more healthy in that vertical. can you maybe just comment on some of the work that you're seeing in that space some of the pipeline that you're targeting now, uh, particular also in in the renewable energy space uh, if any color there please thank you
1: sure, ab- absolutely so so first talking about the uh, the renewable energy space, and so you know we're seeing a lot of interest in that both. You know, Canada, the United States, and, and, and uh, you know, in Australia and other locations as well, where we're working on um, solar farms, wind farms. Um, we mentioned a, a biofuel facility that we're working on right now in, in, um, in Saskatchewan get, getting started with. So we're seeing a real uptick in, in work there. We mentioned a number of, of uh, pump storage projects as well. We have a particular area of expertise. So we just see that backlog of work continuing. And in, in addition to that renewable space, you know, I think we'll see a lot of work uh, related to grid re- strengthening. You know, we, one of the proposals in, in the uh, U.S. infrastructure build is, it bill is 73 billion to rebuild the electrical grid. And you know, we've seen issues related to that, certainly with the, the ice storms in Texas. Um, you know, you've seen some of the utilities in California make a commitment to to bury up to 10,000 miles of, of uh, of electrical transmission cabling for, as a result of you know to reduce wild, wildfire and, and and other sorts of damages. So you know I see a lot of work coming in that in that electrical transmission, distribution, renewable space, um, uh, strong tailwind for us for the remainder of this year and, and I think for the next couple of coming years. And then and then in the mining space, you know certainly a lot of commodity prices are are quite high. Uh, we're seeing our business growing, certainly in uh, South America. We're seeing a lot of work and through the also our acquisition of Ingenium in Australia, you know, continued uh, work there, copper, iron ore, uh, gold and and so on, some of the junior gold producers. But a real particular area of expertise that we have as well is with regards to lithium. And, you know, a lot of the lithium uh, production is in South America or or lithium stores are in South America. And we're active in South America with a number of the firms that, that are uh, either already in or looking to get into that field, so I think we see a lot of potential upside to that uh, to lithium as well Troy
12: so so would you would you say that you would qualify sort of the prospective growth rate in that vertical to be um, i guess slightly higher than what you've seen traditionally from from the energy business?
1: yeah you know I, I think that previously in our overall energy and resources business, we saw over the last couple of years a significant upswing in in revenue from Trans Mountain and some of these pipeline projects but as those are winding down now we're seeing the uptick really coming or our involvement in the winding down we're really seeing that uptick coming in mining the energy transition electrical distribution so I think we'll see you know probably you know it'll even out a little bit um you know from a go forward perspective
11: great thank you that's it for me
1: thanks Troy
0: we have a follow-up question from Michael Teplon with TD Securities.
6: Uh, thanks for taking the follow-up. Yeah, so just want to go back to the 1.2 billion in gross revenue award notifications you highlighted, Gord. I think you said that was a, a quarterly figure. Um, I'm wondering if you can put that figure into context and how that would compare to what you would have uh, historically seen in terms of uh, award notifications on a quarterly basis.
1: Yeah. You know, I think we saw, uh, Michael, that in that quarter, it, it was healthy, for sure, um, and probably, that and, and for us, that really is just an indication of the overall health of the backlog, the overall health of the industry and, and our client base, and so we thought it'd be just nice to, to call out this, uh, this quarter that not just is backlog good and up 6% since the beginning of the year, but, but that soft backlog is also very, very healthy. I don't know that it's something that we'll look to quantify every quarter, but it's just something that we thought we'd call out because uh, you know it was particularly healthy and, and uh, uh,
6: in, indicative of uh, strong uh, healthy underlying markets. Okay, I appreciate that. Um, and then you were speaking about uh, employee turnover and um, seeing net additions to employees. I'm just I'm wondering with the with the backlog up six percent organically year-to-date. Um, are you going to be staffing up from here and and how difficult is that to do in the current market?
1: Yeah. So we, we absolutely are, are actively staffing up, uh, actively hiring in, in, you know, the virtually all of our business lines and virtually all of our geographies. Uh, And so uh, there is certainly a, a war for talent there, but, you know, as, as I mentioned to date, We've been a, a net importer of these staff, and, and we'll look to continue to do that. One other thing that, that we've talked about in, in previous quarters we didn't bring up yet today is, is our, is our um, delivery center in Pune, India. And we've also um, continued to grow our resourcing there. Uh, we're up 15 to 20% uh, in, in our operations there um, over where we would have been a year ago. So, um, you know, I, I think we feel good about our ability to, to continue just to, to, uh, to retrain, re- retain and attra- attract staff in our markets, but also in, in our, our Pune India Centre. But, you know, all that to say is this is a huge area of focus for us going forward is staff uh, retention and staff attraction.
6: Okay. And then just lastly, uh, related to that, can you speak at all to, as you, as you work to attract staff, what you're seeing in terms of wage inflation pressures?
1: You know, there there absolutely is some wage inflation pressures, not in all geographies and certainly not in all business lines, but but we are seeing it. And um, a a couple of things that we're seeing happen is, as you probably all have read in the the papers about, you know, the great resignation, they're they're calling it. You know, we're seeing uh, that a number of of people who are leaving us uh, aren't going to competitors. Instead, they're going to our clients who have these large capital programs coming up and are looking for people to help them execute them. And, you know, while we never like to lose um, uh, employees, often when our employees go to clients, it, you know, net is positive for us in the, in the longer term because they know the good people we have. We know They know the quality of work that we deliver. So it also, you know, often is, is positive, net positive for us in the longer term. Of course, we'd rather not lose that staff individual, but... Um, you know, all to say that you know we are seeing some some wage pressures. Uh, I I think that um, that's just an industry wide phenomenon and and that we're all grappling with.
5: Okay, thanks for taking the follow ups. Thanks, Michael. Our next question comes from Yuri Link with Canaccord.
8: Hey, good morning. Morning, um, Yuri. Uh, maybe Teresa. Good morning, Gord. I don't know who wants to take this one. Just a clarification on the, on your organic growth guidance of, of one to 5%. Um, would the mid, does the midpoint of that guidance imply positive or, or negative organic growth in the United States?
2: Uh, you know, I, I think what we're expecting for the US is that it's, you know, it's going to come out um, at the end of the year, roughly, roughly flat. Um, on, on a year-over-year basis. Um, you know, the, as we've, we've noted a few times, you know, the, the recovery is coming. Uh, we see it, uh, as Gord noted, um, you know, on, on a number of fronts. Um, but as we work through the rest of this year, uh, we, we think it will likely finish off. Um, like the Q3, we think will be, will, uh, we, we hope to uh, be slightly better than, than uh, flat. Um, but overall, given uh, the retractions that we saw in the first uh, and second quarters of, of this year, uh, the whole year uh, will will probably be uh, relatively neutral.
8: Okay so that that implies you know a pretty uh, a pretty big swing in, in Q3. but when I look at the comps that that's part of the reason right you're lapping kind of five and a half down. Um, five and a half percent negative in in Q3 so the easier comp combined with a bit of a recovery that's that's the explanation I guess yeah yeah okay and then and just uh, I think this will be the third time you're asked to clarify this but I'll go for it that you're you're talking um, Q3 EBITDA margins roughly flattish with uh, the quarter you just reported right
2: uh, for q three yeah yeah we I mean q two and q three tend to be our highest EBITDA margin uh, quarters and so you know we would expect um, given you know the pace of recovery is still a, a little bit questionable and so we we expect that we'll be able to to maintain um, the the margin we, we garnered in the second quarter uh, but then again q four it tends to fall off uh, uh, traditionally and and we would expect that to, to occur again so um, that would be the, the general shape.
8: Yeah, no, no, makes sense. We're, we're just, you know, last year they sequentially increased uh, over 200 basis points. So I um, want to make sure we're not straight lining that trend. So I uh, appreciate the color, and uh, I'll turn okay. it over. Okay,
5: thanks.
0: All right, and there are no further questions. I'd like to turn the call back over to Gord Johnston for any additional or closing remarks.
1: Great. Well, you know, just thank you again for joining us on the call today. Apologize for the uh, IT issues there, are part way through. Um, you know, we look forward to, to speaking with you all in the, the near future about our continued progress towards our goals. So uh, thanks again, and have a great day.
0: And that does conclude today's presentation. Thank you for your participation. You may now disconnect.